Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live at the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio in Moses Lake, Washington. Excited for you guys to be here. As always, streaming live on my personal Facebook page uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. every Monday, and our midweek podcast usually streams on my Facebook page and on YouTube at eight, eight at every Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. So um, please tune in there. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube channel is where we stream live. Please subscribe to that um, and comment. Let us know if you'd like to, what else, what other subjects you'd like to, to hear about. So we, we really appreciate it. And I read all the comments myself personally. So um, also, on all the podcast forms, so SoundCloud, um, iTunes, uh, Pod, Google Play, all those podcast forms we are available on. This episode will be available either tomorrow or the next day, usually. Within a few days, we're live on those podcast forms. So go to those podcast forums, your favorite podcast forms, and listen there also. So those of you that follow me on social media probably know about my book, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And about a year ago, I released the book, that, uh, 20 years in the making, five years in the writing, and um, I released the book on Kindle, Amazon, and my, my goal this year was to release the book in paperback version. So that means it'll be available on Amazon, it'll be available on um, Barnes & Noble, other bookstores, and I'm super excited to show you that, let's see, that here is the first copy of my book. If you look, this one is not for resale because it is my proofread copy. I'm proofreading it as we speak. And once I proof it and, and get it all edited, it will be available on Amazon paperback version. So go to Amazon. It'll be maybe available on Barnes & Noble. Stay tuned. It's not quite available yet, but we will update you here on our podcast to let you know when it is available. And also, it'll be available in audiobook form. I just got done recording that a couple weeks ago. It is in my voice. Um, what a better way to write my book than to also read my book and um, in my voice with my with my exclamation. So um, it's going to be in, in in available in uh, paperback and audio. So um, uh, be watching out for that. We'll let you know. It's going to be available before the end of the year. We're hoping for a Christmas release, so it'd be a great Christmas present. So with that, I want to introduce our guest today. His name is Sam Tran, and he's going to talk a little bit more about his history. But one of the things that really intrigued me about Sam is he left Big Pharma. And if you guys don't know what Big Pharma is, I know we, we, we kick that word around some on this podcast, but Big Pharma is big pharmaceutical companies. And really what they are is they're big companies that the FDA has um, approved, basically. And these big, big pharma controls a lot of our healthcare. care. Uh, when I say that, they, big pharma is in collusion with a lot of insurance companies. So why are drugs expensive? You should ask big pharma that. You should ask, drug comp you should ask um, insurance companies that because they are in collusion together to keep drugs expensive. And so when drugs go generic... Those drugs stop being marketed, and Big Pharma thinks of a crazy way to change the drug and, and then patent it and, and charge $1,000 more a month. So, And um, those are some things that we're going to be discussing more in detail today about how Big Pharma got created because uh, Sam is from the industry, and he left it because he didn't feel that 
big pharma served the interest of the public very well. So, so Sam, with without further ado, um, go ahead and tell me a little bit about your history. Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Sean and Janet, for having me on here. This is a great forum for us to to exchange these type of ideas. You know, um, I got into healthcare. Um, well, when I was younger, my grandma had a stroke when I was a teenager, and and that kind of uh, that kind of cemented in my mind that I wanted to go into healthcare because I didn't want any, any other person to experience that crisis or that tragedy in their family. Um, you know, and at the time I was, I was actually supposed to become a dentist because my older brother's a dentist, but uh, I, I decided I didn't want to work with blood and teeth all day, uh, you know, inside someone's mouth. So uh, I was always a tinker. I, you know, I took apart tools and, and knew how to work on cars with my dad. And so I, I went into uh, uh, laboratory medicine because there's a lot of uh, automation and robotics and things like that. So I, I studied at the University of Washington uh, in medical technology. Go Huskies. Yeah. What's that? Go Huskies. <laughs> yeah, go Huskies. I'm a Husky myself. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we'll have to catch a game together when, when they finally allow us to go watch exactly. games. Together. Right, right, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I worked at the University of Washington Medical Center for a number of years and kind of kind of saw the revolving door that is our healthcare system. You know, people uh, show up for their clinics or show up for their appointments and they, they get a little better. Uh, they go home, they get sick again, and they come back week after week. And, you know, you, you start to recognize the names on the blood tubes and things like that. And so I said, there's got to be a better way because, you know, th this is not sustainable. And so at that time, uh, I think it was back in the, the mid, uh, no, actually the late 1990s, that's when I went, in, went into um, cancer research, went into pharmaceutical research, uh, thinking that I was going to be a part of some big discovery and, uh, you know, race for the cure, find the cure and all that thing, all those things. But um, after being in the career for um, over 20 years, it, just, it just dawned on me that we're not going to cure anything. Cures are actually illegal which is, you know, if you say you cure something, the FDA is going to come in and shut you down. And so it's very, it's very ironic. And so, wow. and so it's, um, you know, I, I just, I just saw, um, and ironically, I ended up working in, a, um, I ran the clinical pathology laboratory at Amgen, which they make epogen and neupogen, a lot of cancer support okay. therapies. And uh, my department was part of toxicology. So we were, we were charged with looking at the side effects profile of all the drugs on the blood work, the hematology, the clinical chemistry profile. And uh, after a while I said, man, can, can you guys make something that's non-toxic? <laughs> just, right. just one thing, right. non-toxic. And, and uh, that's when it dawned on me that we don't, we don't make anything, we, everything we make is toxic. You know, so, and, and uh, you know, it was kind of like a, uh, an eye-opening uh, realization of what I was really a part of, you know. and yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, how old is Big Pharma? You, you know, we, we, we think that, uh, yeah, I guess just tell us a little bit of history of Big Pharma. You, you, you know about yeah. that personally. Tell us a little bit of history about Big, Big Pharma and how it got started. Yeah, so actually Big Pharma is only about 110 years old, somewhere around there. Um, for the longest time, there were... Um, there was a um, allopathic, uh, uh, homeopathic type of medicine, right? People using roots and herbs and, and leaves and tinctures and things like that. That's gone on for thousands of years, whether it's Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese medicine or, you know, or uh, Native American, you know, um, medicine men, right? And so 
that's that's gone on for forever. And so uh, with the discovery of uh, crude oil by the Rockefeller family, well, actually, they didn't really discover that they just they just cornered the market. Right. Yeah. And then um, they they did the same thing, uh, you know, because they uh, the Rockefeller family uh, standard oil was actually broken up uh, by the U.S. government. You know, for being a uh, what's it uh, like a monopoly? Monopoly, a, yeah. a monopoly. Right. The Sherman right. Antitrust Act in the 1890s. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that's after that. That's when they diversified their portfolio and, and went into other different fields. And and healthcare was one of those fields. And so, so the application there was how can we apply crude oil to healthcare? And so, uh, but it started with, uh, you know, John D. Rockefeller and, and, and funding a lot of schools, funding a lot of research, you know, because uh, at that time, uh, Western medicine was the new kid on the block. You know, no one wanted to use, uh, you know, toxic chemicals. They wanted to use, you know, herbs and tinctures and flowers and roots and things like that that have been time tested. And so they had to, uh, they had to support all this research. And, but, um, you know, and, and for me, it's it quite interesting because uh, you look into the history of the Rockefellers and it just it all makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, his dad, um, William Avery Rockefeller, was literally a snake oil salesman, <laughs> literally. You yeah. Know, so and I don't know. If you, and I looked into the history of snake oil, you know, so when they were building the railroads over here in the U.S. back in the late, uh, I think, 1800s. Um, there was a lot of Chinese uh, workers, right, mm -hmm. building the railroads, yep. and so they would use they would use snake oil, literally from you know I think it was Green River snakes or something that had some anti-inflammatory effects, and then some some savvy uh, businessmen said, hey, we could we could sell the same thing by using you know some other kind of oil, but not not literally from snakes, you know? right? So. Um, well, it's interesting too with that history because if you look at the history of the FDA when they were created in 1937, I believe, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the reasons they were they one of their statements was that the need the, the reason needed to be created was to prevent snake oil salesmen. Yeah. Ironic, so. find, oh, right, that's ironic since you know Rockefeller was one of the big funders of big pharma, and you look at even up to today, Sam, and you know big pharma. Is the is the major donors of every pharmacy school, every medical school? They are still the major donors. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, it it, it got started with um, uh, was it the the Flexner report, right? Because um, uh, uh, I think it was um, uh, the Rockefellers or some one of the other one of the other robber barons back then that funded the Flexner report, and then basically they said they need to standardize, you know, standardize rural medicine. And so they need to make it into a big institution, right? And so that's when everything everything went uh, one direction. It went it went the big oil direction. And yeah, so and it's really interesting because you know when you talk about using roots and um, you know flowers and and things like that, like we used to years ago before before big pharma. You know, one of the problems with uh, you know still to this day most medicine is still a derivative of some plant, you know, whether it's the cholesterol medications or whether it's mm -hmm. um, um, high blood pressure medication. By the way, the ACE inhibitors, this is a good trivia, the ACE yeah. inhibitors actually come from 
um, s- some snake venom. I don't remember the snake, but it's actually from snake venom. So mm-hmm. we still have snake oil kind of in our medicines <laughs> today. Um, but, and you look at, I mean, the, the good example is because one of the first patentable medications was from Bayer Pharmaceuticals with aspirin. Sure. And Native Americans and um, doctors and many, many different people we used to use, you know, um, white willow bark, you know, in tinctures and in teas to help for headaches, to help for fevers. And it worked mm-hmm. without side effects. Yeah. So Bear Aspirin says, okay, or Bear says, okay, we want to isolate the active ingredient in white willow bark so we can help for pain and inflammation and fevers and headaches and such. And so they did that, or they did what they thought they, they thought they did. They, you know, but you don't know what you don't know. So you just have to find an ingredient in there and start testing it. Mm-hmm. Well, they isolated acetosalicylic acid, which is also known as aspirin. And here's the problem, as people know about aspirin, it causes horrible side effects. You know, it causes um, gastrointestinal bleed and it can um, cause, you know, stomach irritation and, you know, kidney problems long term, whereas white willow bark never did that. Now, here's one of the problems when we try to isolate a pharmaceutical, one pharmaceutical from a plant. We only know, we don't know what we don't know. So we try to find that ingredient when in, re- when in reality, there's probably multiple ingredients in that plant that help it to work synergistically, meaning better without side effects. And there might be other properties in that plant that help to prevent side effects. And that, in my opinion, Sam, we will never, ever figure out in Western medicine. You cannot isolate one sure. active ingredient in a plant without causing side effects. You yeah. want to expand on that at all? Yeah, because, uh, you, know, um, you know, patent medicine, because, you know, for, uh, like you were saying, th- for thousands of years, like, um, what's an example? Like scurvy, right? Mm-hmm. Scurvy right. was, was uh, you know, a, a plague on the British Navy for, for hundreds of years. Right. You, know, you, you get too far away from land and you didn't have citrus fruit, you had scurvy. Right. And so, uh, you know, when they when they talked to uh, I think when they arrived in, in uh, uh, the new world here, um, you know, they, they talked to the Indian people and they said, oh, that's that's not a problem. We, you know, we could take you, you know, some of these these leaves or these pine needles and and make it make a tea out of it and drink it and cure your scurvy. Right. You know, right. And, and even even decades after having that information, the British Navy never implemented that <laughs> implemented that easy fix, right? Because it had to be something else. It had to be viral. It had to be some, you know, uh, some bad spirits on the ship and, you know, all sorts of crazy things. Right. Uh, well, a lot of times we don't want to admit, we're going to get this, get to this later in our, in our podcast, but a lot of times we don't want to admit that, you know, most any disease can be treated with lifestyle diet and lifestyle modifications, sure, period, sure. you know? Um, so back on, on um, big pharma, what what do you have to talk about? Because you were involved in phase four clinical trials, and that's kind of shows the safety of the drug. You you hit on that a little a little bit, but talk a little bit about more about phase four clinical trials. Yeah, so uh, so I think everyone knows about phase one, two, and three clinical trials, right? So uh, phase one is is safety. It's usually a smaller number of of, of people. Uh, well, there's there's preclinical, right? So preclinical meaning before it goes into the clinics, before it goes into humans, you know, they test it on, on rodents and, and things like that, right, to, to screen the drugs. And so uh, phase one is a small human clinical trial. Uh, phase two is a little larger. And phase, phase three 
uh, you know, maybe a thousand, a couple thousand people. But those are the three phases of clinical trials that most people know about. But most people do not know about phase four clinical trial. Phase four clinical trial happens after the drug is approved, right? Uh, then, then basically it's on the pharmacy shelves and it's at Costco and Walmart and everything. And then they start collecting data in, in hundreds of thousands of usage, uses, right? And then and they collect uh, uh, adverse uh, side effect data. And then when there's enough data, that's when they, they pull the, the drug off, off the shelves. And so we've seen that with Vioxx, um, you know, a number of years ago. Uh, you know, people started having heart attacks, you know, because it didn't it didn't pan out because the numbers in the phase one and two, three clinical trials were not significant enough. Just right? not enough people. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right? And and we, so, we, we saw it with Trovan. We saw it with Posicor, a, a, um, a calcium channel blocker. Um, Trovan was an, um, a fluoroquinolone for infections. And I here's the one I find most interesting. Is that you know, as we all know, no, maybe we don't, but that's why we have this podcast to educate and empower consumers. One of the most popular classes of drugs today in the United States are statin drugs. You're mm -hmm. familiar, right, Sam? Yes. Statin drugs to treat high cholesterol. Um, Jan and I both find it interesting that a few years ago, of course, Lovastatin was the first one. Lovastatin was isolated from red yeast rice. It is a it is from red yeast rice has been used to support um, you know, healthy cardiovascular for, to support cardiovascular health for years. So, of course, the drug company wanted to patent something out of it, and they found out lovastatin was one of the things that helped to lower, lower cholesterol. Unfortunately, lovastatin has lots of side effects, like mm -hmm. rhabdomyolysis for muscle pain. It, it breaks your muscle down, and mm -hmm. it also has um, liver side effects. It, it can elevate liver enzymes, and it can be hepatotoxic, liver toxic. Yeah. So, once those drugs came to market, we all knew that, but, I mean, the the um, the drug companies, as they're always good at, is like, okay, this patent's running out. Let's find another one that's just similar to it, and we'll put it on the market. So lo and behold, Baycol comes out. B-A-Y, you guys can look this up, B-A-Y-C-O-L. It was a statin medication, and it was on the market. And once it was on the market, they were doing phase four clinical trials on it, and they found out that it was killing people because of um, it's hepatotoxicity, the liver toxicity. So they pulled it off the market. Here's what I find interesting. All there's still many other statins on the market. Exactly. My opinion is they are just as dangerous. Yeah. But once they've had a history and they have enough following, no matter how many people it kill, it kills, they keep it on the market because there's so much money involved. And that drug company just lobbies lobbies the FDA to keep it on the market, period. Do you have any comments about that? Yeah, exactly. I, I think one of the things that people don't know about is the this this uh, number called the NNT, number needed to treat. Okay, so NNT. So you can look at the NNT, uh, the number needed to treat. Let's say if you, if you are preventing uh, one case of cardiovascular um, event, you know, for uh, a statin drug, that NNT number is uh, 104. So you need to treat 104 people to prevent one cardiovascular event. And the higher that number is, you know, you're, you're incurring a lot of risk for the 103 people, right? And right. so, and so these, these numbers are crazy. And, and uh, uh, that's what people don't realize is that you're, you're actually, you're being actually sold a bill of goods, essentially. 
Right. You know? With, with, with the confidence that it's been approved to yeah. be healthy for you. It's certified. It's FDA approved. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And that's one of the problems. That's why I don't like government agencies approving anything because what it does as consumers, uh, many consumers will wash their hands of their own responsibility mm-hmm. and say, well, it's FDA approved. It must be safe and effective. Uh, you know, there's right. And I can tell you as a pharmacist, I don't believe that. And there are many doctors and kind of the, the question many doctors ask themselves, at least the, the good doctors, they will say, let's see, would I prescribe this to myself or my family yet? No, it hasn't been on the market long enough. And that mm-hmm. says a lot. Exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah, you so, know uh, it's, it's quite interesting because, um, you know, I, I come from a world of chemistry, but I realize that the the most difficult thing that you can do in chemistry is simplicity right right and nature always does the most difficult things in the simplest way right right yeah. well it's kind of it's physics right <laughs> <laughs> it really is I and mean, we didn't really make the law we just we kind of name it but we didn't make the law but it's it's pure physics well yeah. i also would like to interject i don't believe that medicine before big pharma typically did these products um, indefinitely. Um, Mm -hmm. Our our model is is that if you go in and you have high blood pressure, you're on that high blood pressure for a life. So none of the other tools that we have in our toolbox are being used to help that client. Um, Because when you only have eight minutes, 10 minutes, it's easier to go here, go fill this than mm-hmm. it is to sit down and tell somebody, Hey, you need to lose weight or you need to do this. And, you know, we need to work on a program to get you there because that takes some time. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of the problem is that, you know, drug companies are in collusion with insurance companies and insurance companies basically dictate what doctors can prescribe period. So a lot of patients don't realize it, but they think that when they go into a doctor, that the doctor prescribes the best thing for them. Unfortunately, that's not true all the time. Unless you find a doctor, you know, that is, you know, has left the system and doesn't take insurance anymore, which there's a lot of those if you follow our podcast. Um, You know, most doctors will prescribe what's what your insurance company says is, is, is going to be covered. And that is not the best thing for the patient. Yeah. In fact, usually it's far from because what happens is that insurance company gives that drug company kickbacks. So they're promoting that drug being prescribed, period. The drug companies and insurance companies are cartels in themselves and the federal government is an accessory to the crime. They have approved all this stuff and they make it legal. In any other industry, it would be illegal. True, true. I mean, it's a, um, what is it? Uh, military industrial complex what, what we have is a pharmaceutical industrial complex you know essentially right. because it, it's captured right if, if you mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're a medical doctor and and uh you know i have many friends that are medical doctors and there's people that go into it with with the, the best of intentions but what happens is they they get caught up in the system you know the system right. is so structured that you have to you have to play the game you have to right. You know, right. you have standard of care. If someone presents in front of you and has a condition, if you don't follow that standard of care, you could be sued for malpractice. Right. right. But, you know, right. I'm going to interject this, and I've said this many times to my clients. Standard of care does not equate quality of care, <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that is misleading because not only is it just the patients, but it's also the providers that have bought into it because their peers are forcing them. If they go off track and say, oh, no, let's go this way, which is not the tier method or the approved method, then their jobs are in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Their livelihoods are in jeopardy. And I don't yeah. think people realize it. You know, we have friends and colleagues that prefer to practice differently, but they're in big clinics. And if they if they step over one inch, man, they're kicked over too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that creates a lot of bias, right? That creates a lot of, right, of uh, sure. coercion or whatever you want to call it. But but there's there's a there's a, a, a invisible force applied to a person and how how you conduct yourself. And so when that force is applied, you don't necessarily end up with with the best uh, outcome, the best um, care. No, right. And, that, and that's that's why our system uh, today. And, uh, you know, now we're talking, man, you know, mandatory vaccines and things like that. Our system is not sustainable. It's at some point it's going to, you know, it's going to collapse in the sense that either the people will get fed up with being on pills forever you know, or, or, or they're just, it's just becomes, um, uh, unaffordable. Yeah. I think both of them, Sam, both mm-hmm. of those are probably true. And I think I, you see it happening now. I think mm-hmm. there's a revolution in that. Um, I would like to think that people like you and people like myself that are out here educating and empowering individuals that there's a different way. I'd like to think that we're part of that revolution. And I've seen over the last few years that people are fed up. So I do see it changing. Um, it's going to take some time and there will always be, that one side of medicine, that one side of healthcare, but I want to see people that are proactive in their own health and don't want to be um, in the sick care system. I, I think it's changing. So yeah, speaking of changing, um, so you had an epiphany of why you left uh, yeah. Big Pharma and actually it kind of started with a little bit of an accident, correct? Yeah, so uh, um when I was 38, uh, I had like a midlife crisis type situation. I, I wasn't happy at work. I, you know, just I used to love going to work, and then all of a sudden, in mid 30s, you know, late 30s, uh, I started to hate going to work, and and I, I thought that was kind of odd because I'm an immigrant kid from Vietnam, you know. So so you know, on paper, it's fantastic. You know, six figure income. You know, pharmaceutical scientist working in cancer research. Beautiful wife, wonderful kids, house in the suburbs. I'm like, what what is the deal here? And so, uh, you know, I wasn't happy and I wasn't, I, I was overcome by this feeling of, of uh, lack of fulfillment. You know, I, 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 I dreaded enduring going to work for another 20 years and I dreaded that. And so I, I started doing a few different things. I became a ski instructor, you know, uh, and then I started skateboarding again with my kids. And on one of those uh, skateboarding trips uh, to a park nearby, I went down this long hill and I wasn't wearing my helmet, uh, no prevention there. I <laughs> fell and uh, cracked my head open. And so I went into a coma. Mm. And uh, during that coma, I experienced, uh, you know, I experienced uh, seeing heaven and, and, and the love and acceptance that is heaven. And that, that completely changed my, uh, you know, my outlook on life when I, when I woke up from that. You know, and then that, that's, you know, and um, that precipitated me um, having a like a moral crisis, you know, not just a regular you know midlife crisis. I had a moral crisis with what I was doing at work, and so that's that precipitated me leaving the industry um, within six months. 
Um, and, and everyone thought it's like, you know, did, did I make a full recovery? Like, are you okay? Are you, you know, did you, did you wake up a few cards shorter the full deck there or something like that? And right. so, um, yeah, but that, you know, and, and so basically what I do now is I help people have that paradigm shift uh, without paying the full price of, of a crisis or a tragedy or going into a coma. Because I think we're so entrenched um, in in our in our bias towards Western and, and modern and, and and complex that it will take some kind of crisis or some kind of tragedy for us to wake up because there's nothing else. You know, logic is not going to wake people up. Yeah, and that's true. You know, I can I can personally um, talk about that. I talk about it in my in my book actually. You know, I mean, my epiphany was you know ten years ago I was sixty pounds heavier. And I had a lot of chronic diseases, including hypertension, including high cholesterol. My knees hurt. I'm sure, I'm sure I could have found some doctor that would have done surgery on my knees. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my feet hurt. I had plantar fasciitis. I'm sure I probably could have found some surgery for that too, mm -hmm. um, or at least anti-inflammatories for the pain. But I decided to change my life and lose weight. And you know, I mean, it changed my life. I mean, it literally changed my life, and it changed my family's life because. You know, it, it also got my family on a on a healthy um, lifestyle, also. So um, that it, it's it was very it's very personal for me, and that's why one of the reasons I do this podcast is to, like you talk about, make people make that shift into you know health and wellness and be proactive in their health. Yeah, and I, I think we're all going to get to, especially twenty twenty, right? Twenty twenty has been really you know maybe a red pill year for a lot of people, a wake up years that like everything's going crazy. Uh, and so you can't help but question, like, what is going on? Like, what's, are we going to have alien landings? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it almost feels that way. Right. right? Uh, and so it, it's a good year for people to have that, that question reality, question the world, right? Because I think we're being, we're being told a, a, uh, a script. We're being told a story. And it doesn't add up. And so that, that's what was in my mind. It's like the story didn't add up. Can you get more specific about that? I, I, I'm assuming you're st talking specifically about COVID, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, when, we're, when we're faced with danger as an animal, you know, we don't need a newsletter. You know, we don't need a, a broadcast to tell us that there's – we feel it. We feel the danger. <laughs> yes. Like, like it's, it's intrinsic. It's uh, instinctual. You know, you hear something loud blow up and, and, and flames and you automatically back up and run the other way. There's right. no way, you know, like if someone's standing there with a loud horn telling you, oh, it's safe. It's it's just pyrotechnics. You know, you're going to be you know, you're going to be going the other way anyways. But um, I see humans uh, right from the get go. There is this there is this newness. There is this newness to this COVID. It's a it's a um, novel virus. Right. Uh, right. It's a brand new virus. We don't know anything about this. Right. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. There's just, nope, people, absolutely people, not. Have, you know, people discovered, uh, you know, the new world and there's already people here. You know, sorry <laughs> to Christopher Columbus, but, right. but there's already people here in the new world. And so there's nothing new under the sun. It's just it's just made into awareness. And so I see a lot of this propaganda and a lot of this fear going on around this. And, and I think more and more people, as the whole year has progressed now, they're, they're realizing that, um, you know, as they, they try to resume life and, and try to do like Thanksgiving and things like that, 
it's just like, wow, this is actually a control state. It's a police state almost. Uh, but people are realizing that there's something amiss here. And well, it does add up. Yeah, I, I like what you have to say about that because I've been saying it for months that <laughs> it's it's not a novel virus. You know, it's kind of like, we only know what we know. So when all of a sudden we're looking for something, yeah, we can put a name on it, but it's kind of like going to that plant and finding out what's the active drug in it. We don't know until we look. So now we can name something COVID-19. Does that mean it's only been out since 2019? My thought is I doubt it. Now you could argue that it was, you know, genetically engineered and it was human. It was human made in a Chinese laboratory. I don't know about that, honestly, but here's my point. Our bodies have been fighting viruses like this for thousands and thousands of years. And like you said, it's a great proverb in the Bible. There is nothing new under the sun. It might be under Solomon, I think, under Solomon, Song of Psalms. But um, either way, it's true. There's nothing it's, – it's nothing new. So, you know, how, how have our bodies been treating it before? We just have a healthy immune system. Yeah. I shouldn't say just. Uh, that's probably just – that's the most important part. You know, and lifestyle and eating is very important for that. Yeah. Um, what I love what you said, Sam, is that you know if we uh, if we see something dangerous, we know about it. We and, and think about it: if it was dangerous, the government wouldn't have to tell us, right? Yeah. Does the government tell us that an explosion is dangerous? They shouldn't have to. We know it by by looking. Like you say, it's instinctual. So really. Is it that dangerous if the government tells us? If they have to tell us to wear masks and a social distance, how dangerous is it really? And like you say, there's a lot of there's a lot of traffic on the freeway right now. Yeah, so exactly. are people maybe people will say when there's a pandemic. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so um I, I think you know when the word uh pandemic is used, right? It's uh because everyone thinks about 1918 flu pandemic, right? Where 10, 15, 20% of the world population decreased. Well, that's just that's just math. And math doesn't lie. So I look at I look at world population growth by year. Every year the world population grows by 80, 81, 82 million. And so 2020 is going to be the exact same as all the other years. And you're Correct. like, what kind of what kind of pandemic, you know, makes the world population increase at the same rate? Right. right. <laughs> so, if it was dangerous, we would know about it. I mean, yeah. literally, people would be staying home and and everybody would be dying, not just the immunocompromised and the sick. And I get it. There are some people that, that fall through the cracks that are young and and maybe no um, you know, underlying conditions. Although I would like to see more about those individuals um, because in general, they're an exception to the rule. It's mostly the elderly and the immunocompromised. I'm not saying they're not important. They're very important. But this is something that we've been dealing with for hundreds and thousands of years. We should do it the same way we, we, we have in the past. Yeah. And in a way, it's, it's a, a little bit of a sleight of hand, right? Because the, we know the industry is there to, to push a pill, a shot, push some kind of human intervention, some kind of new, uh, new medication, new procedure or something like that. But yeah, new vaccine, right? New vaccine, right? And so that's the, that's the business model. Right. I mean, if, if sunlight cured uh, everything, there would be no business. Right. 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 So it's got to be something that, that nature doesn't make. That <laughs> right. 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 It has to be because otherwise, if it was something that nature makes, I wouldn't have a business model here. Right. Right. And Janet, so, you had something to say. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think, 
Tran is hitting on it because my feeling is that there is a group of population that is always going to be susceptible to to infection and it is serious for them and, and we're not denying that um the one thing that i feel that isn't really being told in this scenario um and i'm going to put the media to blame for this and and even just the healthcare industry our bodies have an immune system true and if we are healthy and take care of our bodies we have a great chance of being able to to fight it and i i really feel that um you know we we, we haven't given us as a, a species a chance to say oh yeah we fought it very well and this is what our success is because all we talk about is cases yeah. and deaths we never sure. talk about the success of it and to me that is a little skewed because there's going to be more people coming out and saying yeah i tested positive but i really wasn't you know this or that and and that again is showing you that you know their body responded and i'm not saying that there aren't going to be people who respond terribly to it but that's true of the flu too that's true of other infections and our bodies sometimes if we're not healthy can't fight something exactly exactly and so that that's that's part of the the magic show right because there's a bit of a sleight of hand where uh the the language has changed right where basically we're going to address the symptom and not not uh, find out what the root cause is right we're going to offer a solution right a, another intervention as opposed to a lifestyle change right so right. um you know cardiovascular um, cancer and uh diabetes are i think the top uh, three risk factors for covid right so we have to look okay well why why is someone in that population right why is that someone in that demographic right so i want to share a, a screen with you guys here please so this this paper came from the um uh, national institutes of health um, nih uh, and it was actually um published on the american diabetes association it's called the paradox of progress so as a society the the, the more that we progress and modernize we have conveniences, right? Conveniences in, in, uh, made by our agriculture, uh, industrial chemicals, pharmaceutical consumer products, right? And right. then those are the sources of many man-made chemicals in our society, right? And uh, basically we have exposure to those via uh, going through the skin, transdermal, uh, via breathing, inhalation, uh, uh, and ingestion via our food. And then these chemicals are so small, they actually are, um, uh, they actually cross the placenta, you know, so they go from generation to generation, just like Agent Orange back in, you know, Vietnam War and things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, these 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 uh, chemicals do come in and they stick to fatty tissue. Basically, the body will clear what it can and the rest that is not cleared will be put into fatty tissue for like long term storage until the body can get rid of it. Right. So that's that's fatty tissue, pancreas, liver, brain, skeletal muscle. So we're, every person is about, you know, unless you're a bodybuilder, every person is about 20% fat, you know? And so, um, and then once those chemicals come in, they have a uh, pathophysiological effect. You know, they cause obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia by basically mimicking hormones. And so we look at our modern society and the amount of chemicals being made by decade, right? This, uh, if you look here, uh, the blue line is the billions of kilograms of synthetic 
chemicals made uh, by decade. And so it all, it, you know, um, I, I, they didn't have data back before World War II, but you could see the blue line increasing here. And so uh, everyone used to have, you know, victory gardens and things like that, and no one had Tupperware. And all of a sudden they came out with Tupperware in the mid fifties uh, because plastic was, was plentiful, yep. oil was plentiful. And then, uh, you know, you see it progress into uh, 2010 and, and, and longer here. But on the red line, you see the percentage of the population that's diabetic. And so when you look at this, you can say that there's a strong correlation. I, I can't say that there's a causation here. And, you know, uh, basically none of the scientists will say this, this causes it. But there's definitely a strong correlation being in a modern world and having modern diseases. Right. And so this is something that I think we uh, we need to address as as far as root cause uh, of what all these uh, you know what all these risk factors and who's making these risk factors. Well, we know for a fact that you know plastics, which do come from the oil industry, do um, you know are xenophobes, mm -hmm. and some of them are xenoestrogens, and mm -hmm. which means they mimic estrogens. So mm -hmm. they mimic hormones in our body, and that might be one of the reasons we see women that are having hormone issues a lot younger than they used to because of of these plastic toxins that have been introduced into um, our society. Now, I think there's a lot of other things too with those plastics, which with those conveniences, we've had a lot of processed food. You know, you look at that graph, at that graph of the diabetes graph, I think it started in the 60s. The first graph started in the 40s, I think. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, really processed foods came about in the 50s, basically post-World yeah. War II. Exactly. And, and now when you look at the SAD, when you look at SAD, the standard American diet, most people, that's all they eat. I yeah. mean, they're, they're most all their food comes from processed foods. Yeah. And one of the ways I would define processed foods is that if it doesn't rot, then it's a processed food. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, think about that. Um, so if you're not eating fresh stuff that rots, you know, if it can stay in your, you know, it can stay in your, um, you know, at room temperature or at, you know, you know, even in a fridge or whatever, you could argue that that's not as fresh, but, and I get it. We've been preserving foods for, for hundreds of years. I get that, but I still think the fresher, the more raw food you can eat, probably the better for us. True. True. And then, um, uh, Sean and Janet, do you guys see uh, with the red line there, what happened in the mid 1990s? Yes. Yeah, put that, put that back up there again, so please. So yeah, tell us what happened in the 1990s, Sam. Yeah, so uh, if you see there, there was a, a sudden spike in the, the prevalence of diabetes uh, starting in like 94, 95, it looks like. And then, but prior to that, if you see, uh, if you see that the blue line, it started going more vertical too, probably mm -hmm. in the early 1990s, right, 90, 1991 mm -hmm. or so. And so what happened there was GMO, uh, genetically modified foods. And so uh, we started uh, we started having crops that were genetically modified so they would be resistant to Roundup, right? And so we started spraying the the ground, uh, you know, the ground with more chemicals and basically killing off the soil, right? And then and then but we'd have uh, better crop yields. And then some of those chemicals, because this is what plants do: plants detox the planet. You know, if you have a a, a super fun site plant some, some grass there and then basically cut the grass every few weeks. And then, and then basically over time, the plants are going to pull 
those toxins out of the Absolutely. ground. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And that that's what nature does, right? And so if you're planting if you're planting soybean or corn onto a field that's been sprayed with Roundup, you're going to have Roundup in your corn and soybeans, right? And, and then you make you know you make Wheaties or you make Cheerios, and then that's how you have Roundup in your Cheerios. And then and then these chemicals, uh, these Roundup things, are actually they function like an antibiotic, you know. So they actually kill life, right? Because it's it's killing plants, so it's going to kill right. animals. It's the same. It's just a slower uh, a slower dose. And so over time, uh, let me pull up this other one. Over time, this is what's causing our our health issues. Is that we're the apex predator, right? So we are concentrating all these toxins in our body, and it's killing off the bacteria in our gut, and it's leading to autoimmune diseases, food allergies. You know, there's people allergic to pollen every spring. Well, how, how can you be allergic to something that's that's on the planet? You know, that right. you, you were born yeah. here. How could you be allergic to the actual planet itself? Right. <laughs> no, well, no, I just had, you know, like you say, it's because we have toxins in our body that's destroyed our immune system, destroyed our gut health, which is 70% of our immune system is in our gut. So if we don't have a healthy gut and we're ingesting these plants with, that have toxins in them already, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And then, you know, basically we, we are basically, we have a lot of inflammation now too, right? Because we mm -hmm. have well, all these, all these compounds are coming in. And so the body basically, the body will basically detox you, you know, help detox. But if it cannot keep up, you're going to have side effects of toxicity. That's, that's all that we have now, right? So basically toxins come through our lungs, our skin, our just, uh, intestinal tract. They all get processed in the liver and they get excreted on the right-hand side via our skin, kidneys, colon, and lungs. But if the toxins are coming in faster than your body can excrete them, then you're going to, you're going to store them basically. For sure. Yeah, and for this sure. Is what we're, this is what we're treating. And so, um, you know, big farmer is not going to ad admit to the root cause. And so this is why we have allopathic medicine. We, we basically treat symptoms, right? And so yeah, this, treat symptoms instead of fix the problem. Yeah. Instead of addressing the root cause, which is, you know, a lot of environmental toxin, right? And so if, you, if you're going to be, if you're going to be, uh, you know, addressing environmental toxin, you know, you're going to be stepping on some big, big shoes there. For sure. <laughs> right? so, yeah, yeah, so for this, sure. This is the, uh, this is the problem that we face as a society now, because uh, we're, we're, it's, it's unsustainable, essentially. It's unsustainable so where this is all going. I, I, I agree. I agree. Well, and we'll talk a little bit more. We'll end the show with um, how, you know, what's your, you know, thought about how consumers can be proactive in their health. Um, mm -hmm. Let's get back to your story about leaving Vietnam. Um, you mentioned in our pre-conference call, you, you talked about the lockdowns, um, the lockdowns and, and, and mask manda mm -hmm. mandatory mask wearing are really about um, control and creating a dependency on the government. True. So, do you tell us a little bit about your story because you're from South Vietnam, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I, I grew up in um, a city in the very southern tip of Vietnam. It's called Camau uh, uh, in Vietnam. So I left there. Uh, we left in I think 77, 78, somewhere around there. I was six and a half, and so my dad was in the um, 
uh, in the Southern Vietnamese military, right? And so during the Vietnam War, um, we were allied with the, the Americans. And so after uh, the fall of Saigon, um, that's when everyone was kind of like got out of town, got out of Vietnam, right? But we were in the deep South. So we were, um, you know, somewhat isolated from the communist takeover up in the North. Right. And so, but eventually after a couple of years, they were starting to find out who was in the military and then, uh, you know, who, who they needed to lock up basically and send to re-education camps. So that's, that's when my father, um, you know, said that we need to, we need to hightail it out of here. Um, you know, so, I mean, let me share, let me share, um, something of you guys here. Um, but this is, this was a, a, a pivotal document for us to leave um, um, Vietnam back in, uh, so it's from the embassy of the United States. So, so we had, um, you know, they had this program through the UN where we could, um, we could immigrate to the U S and so, um, I, you know, you guys can take a, take a, uh, uh, take a look at one of those pictures and see if you can spot me uh, in one of those kids pictures at the bottom there. <laughs> wow. That's one of those is you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that peak, that peak in the middle of my head, right. The, 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 my, my, uh, my, not my bangs, but the, 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 the peak in the hair there. Right. Um, <laughs> that is you, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So because of, um, you know, geopolitical issues, and then we can go into the history of Vietnam war and things like that, that, you know, we came over here as refugees. And so, uh, you know, and, and seeing, um, you know, we wanted to we wanted to actually come to this country because uh, of the liberty. You know, so that's that's where I grew up down in the southern uh, tip of Vietnam. But uh, uh, we settled in Spokane, Washington. Uh, so we went from a subtropical place to like that first winter was was. was <laughs> and so uh, you know, and then uh, this is this is a picture of my grandma. You know, she's the one that had had the stroke when I when I was a teenager. And so this was, you know, this is the land of opportunity. This is the beacon of light in the world, right? Because of our constitution, right? The, that constitution was written, you know, and, and when, when I became a citizen, we had to study the constitution, right? We had to study the bill of rights. I don't know how many people actually know all of that, but we had, we were quizzed on it, right? Cause that's part of becoming a citizen. And so, um, we, uh, you know, we, you know, we appreciate, like, I think immigrants that come to America appreciate uh, the freedoms that we have here because we don't have, you know, that we don't have the right to criticize government. We don't have the right to, to criticize any officials over in other countries. You know, it's communist over there. It's like, if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're propagating anti-communist ideals and then pretty much the next day you're out in the street or you're locked up. Well, we, we've had a Cuban immigrant on our podcast before, and he talked basically the same way you're talking, Sam. And so what are the analogies you see with, with what our government is mandating now and when people speak out about, about well, I don't, I don't necessarily believe the numbers. I don't think it's as dangerous as you say it is. And it seems like these people are being ostracized in the public when they, when they speak out that you know this, this COVID is not as dangerous as they think it is. Yeah. What's the analogies of, of this and you leaving the Vietnam? The analogy is like in, in a communist country, they would say, oh, this is for the, the common good. This is for the greater good. 
right? Mm. And that's and that's how it's told to you. It's like, well, you got to take care of everyone. We're all in this together. Right? <laughs> but Interesting. It, it's a slippery slope. And so the same language is being used, you know, uh, you know, uh, whether it's it's uh, stay home, stay safe. Right. The things that you see on the freeway billboards and stuff like that is, yep. you know, there's there's an amount of propaganda that went on in those countries. But being in this country, uh, being in the United States, we see that same propaganda. We see the same language. I know it it it. it, it may be hard to understand that uh, but we live that you know that's why immigrants that come from cuba or some other you know socialist or communist country they they see all of this right but the uh, america is a, such a great country because you're allowed to work harder than others you're allowed to differentiate yourself right and and you know in in china you know it's a communist country but there's there's peasants in china and there's people driving lamborghinis I'm like, how is that communist? Right. right, right. You've got tech billionaires and then you've got someone walking behind a water buffalo. That's not communist. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. right. The exact opposite of communist. Right, right. Yeah, people over there, they know it's a story. But I think people here, we've been, we're so laxed. Yeah. We're so laxed in the defense of our liberty that it, when when the when the first assault comes, it's not really viewed as an assault on our liberty. It's viewed as, oh, it's for the common good, and that's but that's how you start to lose your rights is for its common good. You know? Yeah, I I agree with you 100. percent That's why I love having. Um, you know, people like yourself on the podcast that have fleed countries like that because you can educate our listeners and viewers as as to what you've seen in real life and or or at least heard from your parents and grandparents and and what may be happening in our country and to me it's all about liberty and mm -hmm. i think people should be able to make their own choices i think there should be good education out there i don't think it should necessarily be the government or it shouldn't be the government at all period because i think in if we just look at history governments cannot be trusted period mm -hmm. um so I think it's people like you and I that can be out there educating people um, and then let them decide, you know, let them decide if they want to stay home, if they want to wear a mask. But, um, you know, the, there shouldn't be government mandates about this kind of stuff, in my true. opinion. So true. Yeah. You know, it's it's very strange to to see, you know, people, uh, the, the cognitive dissonance is so strong this year. You know, you see people that are so fearful and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're wondering if they should take this vaccine. And then the next moment they're going, Hey, I'm going to Costco. Do you need to, me to pick up anything? And you're like, wait a minute. Right. 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 <laughs> or you're wearing your gloves everywhere you go. Yeah. And so yeah. I, 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 I tell people like, if this was deadly and the mask really worked, you wouldn't have to tell me to wear a mask. I would steal the mask off your face. Right. Right. That's correct. Right. People will decide that. Like you say, it's instinctual. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about, because we're, we're all about solutions on this podcast, mm -hmm. not just um, complaining about problems, but we're all about solutions. So what is the solution to, to all these healthcare issues, including COVID? Um, it, it sounds like to me, you believe in being proactive with health. So tell us, okay. tell us uh, what your solution is. So my, my solution is uh, I'm going to address the, the, the biggest component of your body. Yeah, the biggest component of your body is water. 
a, a hundred pound person is about 75 pounds water. And unfortunately, that water is, is a commodity today. A lot of people are drinking bottled water because they know tap water has a bunch of toxins in it, right? And so water, um, you know, water is a human right, but more and more it's become a commodity. And so it's polluted with, um, you know, uh, plastics, phthalates, all sorts of things in, in bottled water, right? So my solution is, is simplicity. Um, I, I was introduced to a technology from Japan and I, I shifted away from studying sick people to studying healthy people. What do the healthy people do? And just copy them, just flat out copy the healthy people, right? They grow their own food, they have clean sources of water, they have clean air, and they have social systems. You know, they're, they're, they're social, we're all social animals, right. right? And so if you can just restore those fundamentals, food, water, air, and, and shelter, right? In a social structure, then we're gonna have good long health, right? Not this, this system that we've created a lot of, uh, a lot of dependency on, on, on forever chemicals, right? And right. so basically I teach a lot of people that, you know, all those, um, that, uh, that funnel of chemicals coming into our body, that's unavoidable, that's in the system. And so what I teach people now is, is how to drink this, this uh, they, they call it electrolyzed reduced water. It's a medical grade water that you drink and then you detox your body, right? And so um, at first I thought it was like some kind of, you know, um, hippie, you know, spiritual talk uh -huh. or whatever it is. But I found enough research papers on PubMed and I've seen enough cases that now I've dedicated my life to just sharing the, the, the truth of water to people. Good for you. That's that's awesome, Sam. That's why we like to have people like yourself on our podcast. So, so thank you for listening and tuning in today. And Sam, if if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah. So uh, my uh, website is uh, one as an O N E one true health dot life, and then you can also you can also find me on on Facebook as you know for now until I jump off to some other platform. <laughs> uh, but you look me up uh, Sam Tran and then search uh, search Sam Tran and in Seattle. Um, and then you'll message me on there. And then uh, basically I, I travel the world and share water people. I, I know love a lot it. of people that drink water. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We all do, right? I love yeah, it. Yeah. And I just want to, I want to share in my book. So it's a six step solution on how to fix healthcare. And part of that, most of it is, is, is your health. So personally, it's up to you. You will be the hero. You, the listener, you, the viewer are the hero. And in the six step solution, number one is be proactive in your own health. True. And that is instrumental in solving our healthcare crisis. Cause once people can realize that they're in charge of their own health, then there's going to be a paradigm shift in, in our nation when it comes to healthcare, because it'll, it'll, it'll be truly, it won't be sick care anymore. Cause that's what we have as a sick care system. So mm -hmm. I don't want to give away the five other steps, but that's the first step. Mm -hmm. You have to download my book on Amazon sickened how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it in order to find the other steps. And I would appreciate you doing that. So you've been listening to health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham tune in Thursday 10 a.m. Pacific time, we will have um, Dr. Garnita on. She is a rheumatologist. She specializes in rheumatology, obviously, which is autoimmune diseases like lupus, like um, rheumatoid arthritis, 
lots of different inflammatory diseases is kind of what we've been talking about today because she'll be talking about non-drug treatments, which include exercise, sleep, and diet modifications, and vitamin D we didn't talk about today. We did talk about sunlight, though. Um, so tune in for that because you will find out a lot of non-traditional treatments for autoimmune-type diseases. Uh, Thursday, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. <laughs>